0: Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. The Lord takes us to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44 this morning. It's with great anticipation that I come to you and stand in this pulpit and proclaim from this passage of Scripture. This is a very popular passage. This miracle that Jesus performs is one that... I dare say even people outside of the church has heard of. He feeds 5,000 men on one single occasion with just a mere five loaves of bread and two fish. You know, the miracles of Jesus, as we set up to to walk through this one, the miracles of Jesus are loaded with truth for us to consider. This is much more than 5,000 people being fed with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. There is much more at play in this passage and I want to make sure this morning that we worship Christ by understanding what he did and for the purpose behind which he did what he does in this text. The surrounding details are very intentionally planned out by God. Yes, the miracles are divinely orchestrated, but the surrounding details even of this passage and this miracle are very, very planned by God our Father. This miracle that we're going to unpack points to a greater spiritual revelation that is not apparent at first sight. So with this, I want you to edge up to the front of your seat and I want you to listen intentionally and I want you to worship while I preach. I'm going to worship while I preach this passage. I want you to worship as well. I want you to take in this text and understand what Christ does. And I hope that it will send you into worship and you will say, amazing love, how can it be? That Christ himself would die for me. So let's look, starting in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. Here's what the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write to us today. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, if you remember, uh, two Sundays ago, we preached through Jesus sending out the twelve apostles, two by two, to go into the countryside and to cast out demons and to heal and to teach Now on the other side of John the Baptist's murder that we looked at last week, these 12 apostles come back to Jesus right here. And they report to him all that they had done, all that they had preached and taught, and where they did it. And in this moment of reporting back, our Christ, I think, has compassion on these 12. And he sees how hard they burned it for the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. And so he says to them, come away, let's go get some leisure, let's go to a desolate place. And two weeks ago, I told you, when you hear this term, desolate place, you don't need to think about a God-forsaken wasteland. That's a term that's used by Mark often for a place that's uninhabited. So it's our Colorado mountains, if you will. Let's go get away from all the crowds because you, 12 men, need some rest. This coming from our Christ, who himself slept in the bottom of a boat, right? So in his compassion, he calls them away for vacation. I think there's a biblical mandate here for vacations every now and then. And he calls them to go on vacation with him. They don't go away and go to their own villages and go fish for a bit. They vacation with Christ. But something happened along the way. The men are massively interrupted. The demand for their teaching, the demand for their miracles is high. And people are rushing to get some more of what these men and Jesus Christ have to offer. And so in verse 33 we read this. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So we've got a scenario here where there's crowds on the shore the Sea of Galilee is a small body of water. You can look out on it at any moment and see any kind of vessel traveling across. And they happen to know that Jesus and the disciples are in that boat. And they project, they project where they're heading. And they run around the shoreline and beat Jesus and the apostles to their destination. To their desolate place. And now it's not so desolate. Now it is crowded. It is noisy. And the demand is is high. The disciples and Jesus can't get a break. If you look at the text right above this, they didn't even have leisure to eat. <laughs> the demand was so high. The work was so rigorous. And now these crowds are waiting for them and they can't even get a break. And I just want you to pause for a moment and I want to ask this question. And I want to make an observation. Do you see in these people... And this crowd's going to get really big, 5,000 men. We'll talk some more about that in a moment. Do you see in these people the desperation for Jesus Christ? Do you see that these people will go to great lengths to be in His presence and to be, yes, taught by Him and to, yes, be touched by Him so that they can be healed? Do you see in these people the effects... Of the fall that happened in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. If there's no fall. and If there's no sin in the world. These people are not desperate for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ doesn't even come. But now the provision from God of Jesus Christ. Is on earth. And these people are thronging to him. Because they have no other source. To be taught. And healed. And you've got to ask a question. Am I that desperate for Jesus Christ? Now, I don't mean we need to go run 8 to 10 to, I don't know, 15 miles. to, But are you that hungry and thirsty for Jesus Christ? Do you pursue Him with that much fervor? Do you recognize Him to be the only source for meeting every need that you have and every want that you have? I think that at times we are pretty apathetic. When we consider Christ, we're not like these people. And these people provide us a wake-up call that we need to be intentional in pursuing Jesus Christ. Because he has something that we need. We don't, amongst ourselves, have it. So what is Jesus' response to these crowds? What do the disciples do when they land and there's all these thousands of people there waiting for them? Well, the text will tell us that Jesus had a beautiful beautiful response to these people. He didn't respond like you and I might when we're trying to get away on vacation and it's interrupted. No, Jesus Christ sees a people who are hungry like sheep. And he saw himself as a compassionate shepherd. That's his response to this demand for his presence and his time and his attention. He sees these people as hungry sheep and he sees himself as a compassionate, compassionate shepherd. And so what does a shepherd do with his sheep? He feeds them. We're going to see that he feeds them. But he feeds them in two ways. And he has the priority of these two ways right. He feeds them first spiritually. And he feeds them second, physically. And I think there's significance to that order. Look at what he does. Let's go to verse 34. and we're going to see here that Jesus Christ is a shepherd of compassion in his spiritual feeding of these sheep. Verse 34, "When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Mega crowd, that's the word. And you know what mega means even in English. It is a gigantic crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus views them as, a sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So what is Jesus' response to this great crowd, this desperate throng of people? When he saw the great crowd, the text says our Christ had compassion on them. I promise you, when you discover that you have a need for Jesus Christ and you seek Him, I promise you Christ responds just like this to you. He has compassion on you. He sees you as a sheep without a shepherd and He wants to engage as your shepherd. That's the Christ of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. Now, when he sees this great crowd, he has compassion on them, whereas you and I might be frustrated and tempted to be angered and annoyed at their presence. Not our Christ. No. Jesus is not put off. He's not angered. He doesn't say, come on, guys, let's shove off and run from these people and go to the other side of the lake. He doesn't do that. He puts the boat onto the shore and he steps off the boat amongst the sheep like a shepherd. He has compassion. He feels deeply for these people. And he went ashore and he ministered to them. Now, why the compassion? I've already said it. He sees these people as a sheep, a a herd of sheep without a shepherd. That is not a pretty picture even in livestock terms, much less people terms. These people were desperate. And I want to ask this morning, what do sheep depend on a shepherd for? We've got to get this. What do sheep depend on, desperately, a shepherd for? As I evaluated this, I I want this to be easy for you to retain. I've got three P's, okay, three P's that sheep depend on shepherds for, that you and I depend on Jesus Christ for. The first one is provision. Food, right? Water, good grass, good grazing. Sheep depend on a shepherd for provision. The second P is protection. A sheep is totally indefensible on its own. It has to have someone to protect it from the wolves of this world. And the angst of our culture against us. And the third P is purpose. Sheep have no purpose if there's no shepherd that's going to shear them and train them and take them to the market, so to speak. There's a purpose that sheep get from a shepherd. And Jesus Christ sees that these people have no provision, they have no protection, and they have no purpose. And so He's deeply compassionate towards them he steps off the boat and walks amongst them. These people couldn't get these three Ps from anyone else or anything else on the face of the earth. Now what did he do about it? How did he meet their need for provision, for protection, and for purpose? What did he do? The text is very simple. He taught them many things. They needed provision. They needed protection. They needed a purpose. And Jesus Christ delivers, not physically, but verbally. He speaks to them. He teaches them. And he gives them the most important thing they possibly could need. And that is instruction. These people's greatest need was instruction. And they get it from the greatest instructor, instructor ever. And so Jesus Christ provides for them and protects them and gives them purpose through teaching. I want to make an application here this morning to us. We need provision. Jesus wants to offer provision as a shepherd. And so we get provision from the word of Christ. We need to be fed, do we not? And we need something more than physical food. We need spiritual feeding from the word of God. And that's what Jesus Christ gives these desperate sheep in this moment of their greatest need. He feeds them by speaking and teaching to them the word of God. But he also protects them. Do you understand that the teaching of Christ is protection for us? When we hear the words of Christ in the scriptures, the word of God, that is, yes, a source of nutrients, spiritually speaking, that will strengthen us and sustain us one day to the next. But it's also great protection, because if we heed the words of Christ, if we obey the word of God, we will be safely delivered from the ways of this world that are trying to destroy us and defame our God. So we need to be provided for. We need to be protected by the teaching of God. And we need a purpose. God did not create us to just consume some oxygen and turn into dust from which we came from again. We need a purpose. The only source of purpose for a human being that's made in the image of God Is Jesus Christ. If we do not have Christ. And we heard this Friday night. In our men's retreat from our speaker. If we do not have the wisdom of Jesus Christ. We cannot be the people that we were created to be. We are purposeless. And I'm sorry to say. But the world is full of purposeless people. Because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. So you seek after Christ as a source of food, spiritually speaking, and protection, spiritually speaking, and purpose, spiritually speaking. Jesus Christ provides, he protects, and he gives purpose in his words. And I urge you this morning, you chase him down and ask him for some of this. You run around the Sea of Galilee, you get to where He is, and by the way, He's right here. And you ask Him to protect and to provide and to give you purpose. And in His compassion, He will. It's a guaranteed. There's no way He's going to say, I don't think so. If we are outside of His word, we are outside of His provision, His protection, and His purpose. Here's another application. Uh, Jesus Christ offers you and me provision, protection, and purpose. I've already said in his word, individually, when we go here. But he also does it in something called the church. And I want to tell you this morning that when you come here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and when men gather Friday night and Saturday morning around the Bible, it's in those moments that Christ is providing, protecting, and giving us purpose. And you can't live, first of all, without this, and second of all, without this. You can't. A person that lives outside of the confines of even a local church in engaged membership cannot survive and be the fully protected person that God created him to be. To be the fully provided for person that God created him to be. To be the fully purposeful person. You need the word and you need the church to be able to fulfill what God's created you to do. And so Jesus Christ is what we're all about. Yes, when we go to the Word, and yes, when we gather. And this is where He, in this moment, as I preach this sermon, He is providing for you and protecting you, and He's giving you some purpose. Come often and get much of this. You need this. All right, let's look next at the the shepherd of compassion who physically... Feeds his people because he doesn't stop with just the spiritual, he does that first, but he also feeds them physically. Look in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Disciples are very practical, I appreciate their heart. They are concerned about these thousands of people and they're watching the sun go down. So I love that they're concerned for other people. And in their haste, they see that these people didn't stop to pack food for the day. They just ran to get where Jesus was going. And so the disciples are concerned for these sheep. They're kind of acting like shepherds. We need to make sure that these people get back to their pasture, so to speak, and eat. Verse 37 But he answered them. You give them something to eat. That's a game changer. You 12. Give them something to eat. And they said to him. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii. Worth of bread and give it to them to eat. A little bit of a rebuke maybe in there. A little bit of sarcasm. Slight bit of disrespect. When Jesus Christ after they've witnessed all that he's done up to this point, calmed a storm, cast out a demon. Uh, They should say, "Okay, how are you going to enable us to do this? But no, they question him and they say this is not possible in their minds. Jesus intensifies their dilemma and says, don't send them away. You, 12, feed them. And they are astonished and wonder if he really intends for them to spend what is the equivalent of eight months' wages to feed this many people. That's 200 denarii. It's a day's wage a denarii. Denarius. So now let's unpack all that's set up. Now let's unpack this miracle. And let's mine this for not all that we can, because we don't have time to mine it for all that we can, but we can get a lot out of just this miracle this morning here. First of all, I want to show you, starting in verse 38, that there are five elements to this miracle that command our attention and our response of worship in acknowledging Jesus Christ for who he is. So here's the five elements. The first one is this. We need to consider the source of Jesus' provision for these 5,000 men. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. So he sends them out amongst the crowds. And in this moment, we see that the disciples and Jesus have two conflicting perspectives. The disciples are focused on what they don't have. And Jesus says, Let's take inventory of what we do have. And by the way, there's an ingredient in all of this that that is not to be missed. They have ultimately Jesus Christ. But in that, they have five loaves and two fish. John gives us more detail. I want you to turn over to John chapter 6. He gives us some details that merit our attention this morning before we proceed. In John 6, starting in verse 5, we get this. Just a few pages to the right, a couple of books over. At the moment when when the disciples say we need to send them away, verse 5, John 6, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Big verse, verse 6, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do little glimpse there at Jesus Christ in his omniscience and his omnipotence. Because he knows what he's going to do. But he's testing the disciples. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to each give them a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here. (laughs) There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish but what are they for so many i want you to think about this just to make this in total perspective these are not loaves of bread like french bread or something the a loaf of bread in this day was like a cracker to us okay so these are like five crackers and a couple of sardines that's truly what's going on here okay these aren't big rainbow trout Okay, small fish, small quantity of bread. But Jesus asks this question to test his disciples. And apparently they've forgotten just recent history. Yeah, he calms a storm on the sea. He casts a demon legion out of this guy in the garrisons. They forgot that he just sent them out two by two to go cast out demons themselves and to heal And to preach and teach. They've forgotten all this. And they just came back and reported to him all that they did with the strength that he gave them. And they're not in that mindset right now. They see five little barley loaves and two measly fish. And Andrew, Jesus sent him out. Andrew has been scouring the hillside looking to see who brought food. And the solution is one little boy whose mama packed him a lunch. And they say, here's, here's this guy's stuff. And what do they do? They steal his lunch and they give it to everybody else. <laughs> no. They wouldn't do that, would they? I, I would like to think this boy said, here, can you do something with this? It's not much. And Philip and Andrew and the guys are going, this is what we have, Jesus. So we've taken an inventory and we're still way short. Well, Jesus takes them and he is going to do something with them that people talk about to this very day. He's going to do something that causes us to say, That Christ is worth gathering for on Sunday mornings and worshiping and singing to and giving to and hearing preaching from. We need this Jesus because what he's about to do has never been heard of before. Jesus takes five minuscule crackers and two sardines and he pulls off the unthinkable. And I want to just stop for a moment because this little boy has a measly offering to give to Jesus. This little boy is a lot like you and me. God can and will use our seemingly small and inadequate offerings to do immense, immeasurable, unfathomable things. Christ works like this not just with fish. And loaves. But He works like this with you and me. And our so-called abilities or inabilities. When we willingly offer to Christ whatever we have. He can do immeasurable things. And I'm going to ask you to believe that this morning. And I'm going to use this text as proof of that this morning. You know, many times God doesn't want our strengths Offered to him. That's pretty easy. To give God our strengths. But there are times. And I can speak to this personally this morning. There are times when Christ would ask us. To give our inadequacies to him. Because he wants to use our inadequacies. To do miraculous things. We get slid over into this barditch Called I've got to be strong in something. And I've got to give that strength to Christ. So that he can do big things with it. And basically we're saying Christ can't do anything with my weakness. Well, man, there is scripture that ought to be jumping out of the Bible at you that refutes that truth or that half-truth, mistruth, lie. These weaknesses that we have are sometimes called upon by Christ. And he might be asking us to give us, give him our weaknesses to test us. Because we've already seen that he tested his apostles here. These can be hard to give to him. You know, it's easy to give. It's easy for a, a person that's strong in finance. It's easy for them to say, I'll serve the church by teaching financial peace. Or I'll serve the church by being a, a treasurer. It's easy. It's easy for people to use business skills or, or construction skills to serve Christ. Good with your hands, I'll, I'll surrender that to, to Christ. Because, man, I can build anything. That's pretty easy to do. But it's really hard when Christ says, that weakness, I need to use that to build my kingdom. Give it to me. That's hard. How about giving Jesus your fear of speaking before people or your awareness that you're very inadequate in speaking? That's me personally. I wish, well, I don't wish this. (laughs) If you could have seen me in college in my personal selling class, with Dr. Whitliffe, when I had to invent a product and sell it to my class, you would not believe that I'm standing in this pulpit today speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. Red-faced, sweating like a pig, trembling. What a weak voice that quivered when I spoke. It was pathetic. And I'm going to tell you that over time, Jesus Christ said, I need you to give me your vocal cords and your tongue and your lips because I need to use that to further my kingdom. And I stand before you today, many years later, preaching. You did not know me in college. It was brutal. And there was white-knuckled moments when I felt the call into pastoral ministry and the proclamation of the Word of God. I can identify a little bit with Moses and with Paul. Paul. Not eloquent. I'm not a natural at this. And I promise you, Christ said, Give it to me. And we're going to do things with that weakness. What's it for you? That's what it was for me. You might be very uncomfortable around children and how to motivate them to love and learn about Jesus Christ. And He may say, I need you in our children's ministry. I know you're not comfortable there. You don't know what to say. You might not know how to relate to teenagers. You may be very uncomfortable with teenagers and speaking to them. And he might say, yeah, you're exactly who I need. Because I took five small barley loaves and two measly fish and I fed thousands. That's how Christ works. And I want to challenge you this morning, yeah, look at your strengths. How can you surrender your strengths to the building of the kingdom of Christ? But I want you to go further than that. And I want you to say, what weakness do I have? And is Christ calling me to surrender a weakness? Because listen to Second Corinthians 12,8 through nine. Paul writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. This is his thorn in his flesh, right? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's how Christ works. That's how he worked. This was a weak moment with these crowds of with five barley loaves and two fish. It was a weak moment. And his power was accentuated and made perfect in that moment. He goes on to say, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I promise you, I've had to do that. With the call to stand on a platform and talk to some people. (laughs) I've had to do that. And I will say in all humility that that weakness is strengthened. And and Christ has brought me along and now I'm able to do this to some degree. Still a work in progress though. And you might have a service in this church or in the kingdom of God that you can offer. But it's going to come from a point of weakness. And I'm going to say to you whether it gets stronger or not. Offer it and watch Christ work. He does this so that there's no doubt about who he is. Why does he use weaknesses? So that there's no doubt that God is God. Sovereign, ruling, reigning, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He loves to use weakness because it accentuates his reality to his people. So offer weakness to Christ like this little boy and the apostles bring weakness to him. Because he will thrive. With that. Second point. This one will be quicker. Let's look at the seating. There's details here about seating. Look what he says in verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat in groups by hundreds and by fifties. So he organizes this thing. Because there is going to have to be a physical act to perform this miracle. And the delivery of this miracle is going to require organization. Organization. And I'm just going to tell you that at some point we're going to look at this. this. This so tracks with Moses in the wilderness. Jesus is the second Moses. This so tracks with what goes on with Israel in the wilderness that it's, it's amazing. You ought to this afternoon study the wilderness experience with the manna and the quail alongside this passage. And you will see Jesus and Moses in parallel like you've never seen before. Can't get to that this morning. So he groups the people into manageable sizes so that the disciples can accomplish his miracle. And I want you to just picture for a moment a hillside in Galilee strewn with huddles of people, colorful clothing, talking and mumbling amongst everybody, kids running around in circles. Just picture that scene for a moment. And all he's got right now are five loaves and two fish. Third thing, look at the prayer. Verse 41, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. First thing he does, he doesn't just zap out bread. He prays. He prays to the Father. And he entrusts the work that he's about to do to God the Father. And he offers a blessing to God. He does not bless the bread, by the way. He doesn't say something to the bread to make it supernatural. He blesses God. And if you look in the old Jewish writings, the Talmud and the Mishnah, you'll find prayers such as this. Maybe this is what Jesus prayed because this is in the Jewish uh, prayer book. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. Maybe he said a prayer like that. And he blessed God for the provision that God the Father was about to prepare and provide through him. Now can you imagine you got these huddles of people sitting everywhere mumbling and talking, visiting, kids running around. Jesus stops and he says a blessing. Can you imagine what these 12 apostles are thinking in this moment? He's praying like we've got a banquet feast here. Still nothing has happened in the eyes of these disciples. And he's praying as if he's got plenty of food, abundant food, and he's planned this whole banquet out from, from beginning. And you've got to wonder, did the people, could they be in earshot of Jesus? And did they stop when Jesus started to pray? And did they bow and pray with him? And did they maybe, I don't know, did they say amen with him at the end of this prayer? What are the apostles thinking during all of this time? Let's look at number four. The distribution. Here's the heart of the miracle. My last two points are the heart of this miracle. In the distribution we see that in 41. They broke the loaves. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So Jesus gave bread and fish to his disciples to put before the people. Five loaves, two fish, and he keeps handing the apostles bread and fish. And he keeps on doing it and keeps on doing it and keeps on doing it. And they go from Jesus out to that group of people and they hand them bread and fish and they come back and get more and they go over to that group of people and he hands them more and they keep going over and over and over and over. They had to have been speechless. I imagine the people are applauding, amazed that where's all this coming from? And over and over again, Jesus keeps on providing from this unlimited source of food. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And we'll go on in a minute. We're fed from this little boy's inadequate offering with. A word, it seems. With a word, Jesus multiplied and manipulated molecules to grow this food into an abundant supply. This is, by the way, the God who spoke the world into existence. He can do this, can't He? He created out of nothing everything that is. Here He takes something and He multiplies it. And he does it with his word. He didn't do any hocus pocus. He just speaks and the food multiplies. This must have been the best meal ever. You think about this. This, this occurred to me on Thursday. Uh, I was driving. <laughs> on Thursday I went, wow, that must have been perfect food. Whole Food. This is not fish that has suffered from the fall, right? All of creation was marred by the sin in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. This is perfect food that didn't have to be raised up in imperfect waters. Jesus expands these two fish into perfect fish. Not contaminated in any way. The bread, non-GMO, I promise you. I promise you, this was such Good food. It's the best meal these people ever ate. It's a precursor to the food that we will eat one day at a banquet table with Jesus Christ in all of eternity. That just happened now. That We will eat perfect food one day. Food that is not under the curse of the fall. So this is a perfect, perfect meal. And I just want to tie this real quick to Moses. Moses, this manna comes down from heaven. The people don't even know what to call the stuff. That was perfect food as well. It was food that didn't previously exist. It was white flaky stuff that drops down. Well, this is food that didn't previously exist, all these fish. There's a parallel with Jesus and Moses in the wilderness. Wow, what a, what a scene. What a scenario. And look at what he does. This distribution, by the way, it's through 12 fallen Simple men. We've talked about these uncommon men. Fishermen. Tax collector. Zealot. Israeli terrorist, basically. Look at what Jesus does. He takes these imperfect men and he distributes through them his provision to thousands of people. Moses had 70 men that he did this through when Jethro said, you need to raise up for yourself some help. And so here we see Jesus... Using imperfect men to do His work. He does that with you and me all the time. He's doing that with me right this minute. I am speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. And I am so inadequate at doing this. I am a fallen man. And I take a book and I open a book and I say, okay. And this book is something else, isn't it? Because when I speak from Christ's book, Amazing things are received. Provision, protection, and purpose. And this book never comes to its end. It's inexhaustible. I could preach this for 300 lifetimes and never exhaust it. Just like these fish never ran out. So we need to understand that God works, Christ works like that in us, even in 2015. We talked a couple of Wednesday nights ago in our Wednesday night Bible study about being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are what God uses to make His appeal to people so that they might be reconciled to God. That's what I'm doing this morning. Through me, God is calling you to be reconciled to Him. And in the study all week, He called me to be reconciled to Him. So we are to be used like these apostles in Christ's kingdom building and providing and protecting and giving people purpose for their lives. Here's the last one, number five. I want you to note the leftovers. (laughs) Wow, 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. They all, it's emphatic, they all ate and they were satisfied, not tied over. They were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and a fish. There's leftovers. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's some worship that needs to happen as a result of those sentences. They were all satisfied. All were invited to this table. He did not discriminate. He provided for... Every one of those people. Were they all Christ-honoring Jewish people? Probably not. In His common grace, He blessed thousands of people. Because He wanted to say, I'm here for you. Would you receive Me? He didn't just tide them over so that they could get home and eat. He filled them. They were satisfied. And so precise were His provisions that there was a basket left over for each of the apostles. There's 12 baskets left over. There are 12 apostles. So his provision was so perfect that he even calculated leftovers for the servants to eat when everybody else had been fed. So at the end of the day, there is nothing left. Everybody is fully satisfied. He multiplied the fish and the barley loaves to the exact amount that was needed. Do you know this Jesus? Do you understand that He measures out exactly what we need every time we encounter Him in His Word? He measures out exactly what we need when we come together corporately like this. He gave me a few leftovers even this week. There's leftovers that I could chew on tonight. Christ is sovereign, omnipotent, Omniscient and now omnipresent through the Holy Spirit. And he's compassionate to make sure that he provides, protects, and gives purpose to his sheep. Now, this says those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. If you look at Matthew's perspective on this very same event, Matthew continues and says 5,000 men besides women. And children. So, how many people were at this? Safe to say 10,000 people, isn't it? If you double the women, and and maybe there's a few less women, maybe there's more, and then there's some children. 10, 15, 20,000 people? They had big families back then. Were there 30 or 40,000 people? That math is very, very possible. And so, Jesus' miracle is astonishing. As if 5,000 wasn't enough. Tens of thousands is astonishing. So here's where I want to land this morning. And man, there's so much that I haven't been able to say. But, But I want you to see in this passage that this is one of the many ways in which Jesus Christ fulfills God's promise of a shepherd in the Old Testament. Now I want us to turn to Ezekiel. We could look at a number of places. But let's land on Ezekiel chapter 34. And we'll, we'll make application and close. Ezekiel 34. God is prophesying through the prophet Ezekiel. And he's pronouncing woes against unfaithful shepherds. Pastors of Israel. They have used the flock for their own gain. They have neglected the flock because they're so focused on themselves. They haven't been servant leaders. They've been extortioners. They've led for greedy and sordid gain. They've done it under compulsion. They went against everything that you see in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And so God has proclaimed some woes against them. But but then He turns and in verse 11, He makes a promise. Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord... God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I want you to think about Jesus Christ on a boat crossing the sea and throngs of people running to be there when he lands. I will I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall their grazing be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Well, in Mark chapter six, this is one of the times that Christ fulfills this promise. He's done it over and over again. And over again. And ultimately, we need to read passages of Scripture like that in Ezekiel 34. We need to take in Scriptures from Mark chapter 6. And we need to understand that we serve a God of compassion. We serve a God that says, if my people will seek me, oh, I'll bless them. If they ask of me in faith and belief, if they're desperate for me, I will meet their every need without exception. Don't you want to know this, God? I, I don't know where you are this morning. There's probably someone here that doesn't have a relationship. With this God. I hope this morning that the scriptures have presented God in such a way. That you have a strong desire to run after him. And chase him down. And ask for provision and for protection. And for purpose. People don't like to live unprotected and unprovided for. And we certainly don't like to live without purpose. It drives us crazy because we're made to have purpose. Well the God of compassion here this morning says to you. Chase me down. I'll give you those three Ps. If you already know Him, man, doesn't this make you love Him all the more? How can you walk away from a passage of Scripture where Jesus feeds 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 and go, yeah? How can you be apathetic about this Christ? Don't be Join me in running after him around the lake because I want to get more. And I want more for his glory. So apart from Christ, we all must understand this morning that we are nothing but mere sheep who are vulnerable. Apart from him, we lack provision and we go hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And we are wired for righteousness because we're made in God's image. Apart from Christ, we are unprotected from dangerous wolves and the culture, the elements of this world that rail against us and our Christ. Apart from Christ, we have no meaningful purpose. We're just consuming oxygen. We're going to turn back into dust and experience torment forever. But in Christ, we have a purpose now and for all of eternity to worship at the throne of God. Our need for provision, protection, and purpose is ultimately met in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's it. That's His ultimate provision and protection for us, and that's where we get our ultimate purpose. And like these Israelites, their biggest need was instruction, and they got it from the greatest instructor, Our biggest need is that plus forgiveness. And we get forgiveness from the greatest substitute. Take that in. Chase after him. And you will receive all that you need in this life and for all of eternity. Father, we thank you for these miracle passages that you've inspired your men to write. We thank you for the provision of preserving these historical events. These are not parables. These are not just myths. These are true history. And you've had them recorded for us so that we can look back thousands of years ago and see you in action and to hear you make promises even before that, before you act. And now we read them in 2015 and we say, God does not change. And he still functions and operates like that. Father, it's through these miracles that we come to understand you better. I pray this morning that believer and non-believer alike will see you and understand you. And I pray that all who have heard this would take that understanding into belief. Jesus, I pray for every person in the earshot of this message. I pray for our church that you would provide for us that you would protect us, and that you would give us purpose, and then you would enable us to fulfill it for your glory and for our benefit. And it's in Christ's name that I plead this to you. Amen.